Hi there, and welcome to Season 2 of York Talks, a podcast for families wanting to learn more about how the York School, Toronto's leading co-ed independent school delivering the IB curriculum from JK to grade 12, views education. I'm your host, Natasha Esty. This season, join me in conversation with teachers from the junior, middle, and senior schools about their craft and get insights into some of the most progressive approaches to education today. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of York Talks. I'm so glad you are here. I'm looking forward to this season and getting a chance to speak with some of our progressive educators. But before we get into all that, I am thrilled to be speaking today with our Associate Head Academics, Justin Medved. You might know Justin as the past Director of Learning, Innovation, and Technology at the York School, where he led the way in ensuring that technology was integrated into the classroom and 21st century pedagogy was developed to enhance learning. Justin has taught in the UK, Africa, and Asia, and is connected to a global network of educators and thought leaders. He's a Google-certified teacher, Apple Distinguished Educator, co-founder of Cohort 21, and the Case Strategic Change Accelerator. As Associate Head Academics, Justin inspires teaching and learning at York and ensures the school is delivering academic excellence, supporting the whole student, and is delivering on its IB-focused mission. Justin, I know it's a very busy time gearing up for the school year, so thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, you're welcome. So you've been a much-loved and highly valued member of the leadership team for a number of years now. You've been at York for a number of years, but you've recently moved into this new, exciting, and important leadership role. So how, how has the transition been so far? It's actually going to be my 20th year this year, believe it or not. The transition has been smooth. I'm really excited to onboard my former associate director of learning innovation technology, Afsal Sheikh, and as my mentee, as he uh, cross-trains into his new role as IT director, and I move into this role of um, associate head academics. It's not actually that much of a departure from what I was doing before. I think you could say that I was leading from the middle an aspect of our learning experience and you know just larger value proposition because I had that expertise uh, that aligned pretty closely with the mission, vision, and values of the school built on a, on a, on a foundation set long ago. 20 years at this school, our, our school laptop program is about 22 years old. Mm-hmm. So when I started in 2001, it was in its infancy. And it was actually that exposure to what's possible with laptop and technology in the classroom that led me to pursue a master's and just kind of a career focus in and around the intersection and the whole department really that I have built over the last decade or nearly 15 years is, you know, the department of learning, innovation and technology. And a lot of my messaging is around the intersection of those things is where the magic happens. Well, with my admission hat on, I, I always loved your comment of how it was all about sort of technology and the service of, of learning and teaching and technology in the service of education. And in many ways, it was almost a curator of the best tools to um, enable that to happen. And I just loved thinking about it that way. If we think back to the foundations of the York School of History, the founding tech director, uh, her name is Diane Dowman, and I was her 
mentee. She mentored me, but she was a teacher first, and and I am too. I started at the York School as a geography and phys ed teacher, and so very different than sometimes how schools approach hiring for that role. They tend to look for someone maybe more technically inclined, and that makes a lot of sense for a bunch of reasons. I learned all those pieces along the way, but what informed all my decision-making in the leadership of that role was really through the lens of the teacher, uh, the learner, which I think gets you to a different place. So all of my decisions were you know, really aligned already with the larger goals of the curriculum, the challenges teachers face on a daily basis. And so I think there was a you know, nice synergy. I hope to, to think that there's always been a nice synergy there. It's interesting. One of the things I'm hoping to ask the the teachers I'm going to be speaking with throughout this season is about their own journey to becoming a teacher and that sense of what it is that drew you to, you know, to the profession. And for many teachers, they talk about it as a calling. I'm just curious because you are, you know, probably at, at the very heart a teacher. And so what about your own journey to teaching and um, your sense of what it was that really has called you to making this your profession? Yeah, all my jobs seem to focus around working with young people. So, uh, you know, from the early days of pursuing swimming, you know, distinctions, and then finding my way into lifeguarding, but then eventually enjoying teaching swimming. And then you follow the summer camp trail. When you love the summer camp you attend, you find ways to stick around with the leadership program and then the counselor. And then I found myself uh, a leadership director uh, in the camping. Queens at that time had something called the it had a phys ed department. And so it was a, a dual liberal arts geography, dual major, uh, phys ed major. And so in the phys ed major, you found yourself either going down a kind of kinesiology chiropractor route, or mm-hmm. it prepared you for having that first te- that teachable, the two teachables that you're required to have as a high school teacher. There's lots of ways to teach, whether you're a chiropractor, whether you're a coach, whether you're a formal phys ed teacher, you know, like it's all teaching. Agreed. That's great. I love hearing, hearing the journeys. It's, it's so fascinating to me, you know, how we all end up where we do in the path to get there. What or who inspires you in your work as an educational leader and sort of a teacher of teachers, so to speak? I'm really lucky. You mentioned earlier, uh, cohort 21. So I've, I've built over the last decade, actually cohort 21, if you're not familiar, is a is a CIS Ontario professional learning community that I helped co-found with uh, my uh, friend, colleague, and uh, I'd say inspiration in a lot of ways, Garth Nichols. He's over at Havergal College. But together we, we saw a real um, missing community in CIS Ontario that focused in and around professional learning networks. So mm-hmm. CS and Terrace have always done a great job of professional learning opportunities and conferences and all kinds of, so they do a wonderful job stewarding that. But there's a difference when you say, we're going to build a community around a shared experience. We're going to come together. We're going to have an infrastructure and a, a facilitator and coaching model that supports it all around reflecting on your own practice. Mm-hmm. And over the last 10 years, we've built a, an entire framework and approach, which is we like to call action-oriented inquiry, where you come to uh, the Core 21 experience committed to an eight-month eight, eight process that is centered around a problem or challenge you have in your own practice, mm-hmm. supported by colleagues from around the province who are right there with you who are going to help you answer 
or, or solve the problem. So that's a really cool experience that's kind of unique to the offerings that CSM has. Mm-hmm. They kind of collect really amazing educators and they really are uh, inspirations uh, for me to just um, be aware of what's possible. Because, you know, every school has its own organizational weight or just its own things going on. But when you can step outside your own school and all you have in common is teaching, then you leave everything at the door and all you're talking about is opportunity. And that's a really, you know, engaging environment to sit in. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I love um, seeing all the Twitter comments or, or various posts that you see in, you know, the hashtag cohort 21. And, and it's and it's not just, you know, obviously teachers from the York School that are part of that, but there's teachers from all different schools that are, as you said, part of this really uh, interesting community. So how would you describe the York School's approach to, to teaching and learning? Well, we've built uh, a school around a very progressive uh, approach that seeks to align with some great established best practices. Like the Ontario ministry curriculum is very solid. We build on top of a framework that sits across the IB program, which is a global research informed, you know, holistic, broad based education that is pulling from various interdisciplinary areas, whether it's the service learning, experiential, um, the, the kind of broad-based offerings that um, it exposes you through. Sitting inside that is this kind of focus around inquiry as a, as a pedagogical approach, agency of the student being a key important factor to consider when planning. You know, so what's really great uh, about the, the foundation that the York School sits on is that from a very early age, it was very much asking the question, how can we be better? And I think what we have as a real, you know, unique um, culture is one that is not afraid to change in pursuit of something better. Mm. And so while you have some solid foundations, we're very nimble and and you see it all the time and in the teacher unit planning and everyone's approach to, um, just being the best, creating the best educational experiences we can we can offer. Mm-hmm. I pulled a really great quote that came from a, a a video you did for someone else's blog, a teacher's blog, and you talked about. And I'll quote now: You said, "To teach here means to constantly approach teaching and learning through the lens of iteration and continuous improvement and refinement. To teach at the York School means to constantly challenge yourself." to take risks, but to constantly question and improve on what you did before. So I think that really, what you're saying sort of highlights that that idea. It's almost like that Kaizen philosophy of, you know, the Japanese automakers and this like, you know, the constant incremental change, you know, towards progress. Yes. And do you think that, that there's elements of that that differentiate the York School from other schools, other educational institutions? You know, in the way that we have the things like the ICE program, or we have you know, middle school organizational subjects and some of the cool things that we offer and do, you know, speak to, um, you know, really, really interesting and innovative programming that is, it can be built, you know, it, it's an iterative, uh, it's the result of a lot of iteration. You know, Struan Robertson, our head of school has, uh, you know, this, this concept of failing forward, which I think is, is such a great way to, to think about, 
know, how we do do progress and, and certainly within the, the teaching realm as well. The York School does have a reputation for having uh, really good teachers. It's one of the things we always hear from an admission perspective. You know, one of the reasons that families end up choosing the York School is because of the teachers. So what really defines the York School teacher? And, and when we say things like we have world-class educators at the York School, like what, what do we mean by that when we say those sorts of things in your view? Well, when we recruit, we certainly look for teachers who have uh, a disposition and I guess have a track record, some evidence to support the the idea that they come open-minded and are, are very interested in supporting the learner, the, both the social-emotional social, learner as well as the you know, academic learner. And the intersection of those things is, is a really important piece. Now, all schools will say that they support the whole child. And the way that we have elevated well-being into our, into our uh, current system and structure through our whole department of wellness um, and our, the infrastructure we have around learning support, social-emotional support, and our new North Star that clearly, you know, elevates DEI inclusion and well-being as something that we have taken and said, well, this is so important that mm-hmm. it sits just at the same level of the academic program. I think in the way that we've been able to communicate that in our website and, and, and through interviews attracts a certain type of teacher uh, that, you know, wants to... Um, play in that sandbox, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Our students constantly remind us, they say it in our grads all the time, like these teachers really care about us. They wouldn't say that if they didn't you know, really mean it. Especially in the context of what we've been facing and are continuing to face in terms of trying to operate as a school during a pandemic. I think that resonates even more strongly how, um, how students have you know, felt seen and, and you know, the relationships that they've they've been able to have with their teachers so yes. i think it's a testament to that that point so we often talk about this idea of like 21st century school or 21st century teachers what does that mean to you it tended to mean the internet you know so there was this notion of connectivity being a huge cultural driver around the world so that you know and it has like we know that technology has just changed the world in such fundamental ways through the phones that are in our pockets, the computers and what they could do. Over the last 20 years, we've seen such incredible change. And that's had an impact on work everywhere around the world and on culture and on all kinds of aspects of what it means to like live on this planet. So what 21st century teaching means now is, is a school attuned to that ongoing change? And to what degree is it actively trying to embed it into the conversation in the classroom? And so how is the classroom mirroring the outside world, right? And so in the way that DEI, many people say it's the, you know, the third pandemic outside. We've got climate change, we've got COVID-19, and we've got a justice, equity, and inclusion crisis around the world. And this is an important conversation that needs to get elevated and be woven into a contemporary education because we're doing kids a disservice if we're not making that an important part of how they start to think and behave and, and navigate their and regulate their own you know, behavior and, and question things. So, I mean, to be literate, Right. So if we think back to like 30 years ago, you you would walk out with an education. Can you read? Can you write? 
and can you do basic math? And then that was the education. Mm -hmm. Profoundly different now, right? So, so much more needed to navigate this world safely, responsibly, uh, because the information landscape is just different. The textbook is redundant. We have so much information from so many different sources in so many different ways coming so quickly, managing it, understanding it, navigating it, recognizing bias within it. Like those conversations and the speed at which they're kind of changing, that is the 21st century. So in order to properly navigate that, and I would say everyone who had like our kids in some ways going through an education now are in a a fortunate state because all the adults are just trying to figure it out too. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's this, this, there was a time when teaching and learning, like you could own it all and you had, you could, I was the master of my domain. I was the content master and I had all the answers. Yeah. Well, that, that time is gone. Yeah. Cause it's like, as the, the whole, you know, scholarship of teaching and learning advances, right. And, and, you know, even beyond the whole justice layer to this, which is absolutely, you know, front and center these days, but, you know, researchers are learning more about um, how students retain information and, you know, what kinds of learning experiences best prepare them for whatever that next stage in their educational journey is going to look like. And you've got this movement away from this kind of like sage on the stage model to much more of this sort of guide on the side model where, you know, inquiry-based learning and, and interdisciplinary learning sort of puts the teacher in a position where where they're not always the expert, right? And so in, in many ways, they're both the teacher and learner as well. And that's actually really disruptive, but super exciting at the same time. So any, any examples of sort of what that might look like? The tools that we have in our design program reflect the tools that are really interesting right now. So kids are coding, kids are 3D printing, kids are like playing with really interesting new technology that's creating rich experiences, right? Like the, the whole prototype, I can take an idea, put it into 3D CAD, print it and have it in my hands in 10 minutes to then iterate on, amazing, right? Then we can find ourselves in in the center of this amazing opportunity with data. So we now have tools and diagnostic dashboard tools that are available to us as teachers to see learning happen in real time, to track student progress in real time, to uh, have certain platforms teach certain things to the student that what would have been once done by the teacher, but no longer need to be, so that frees up the teacher for the time to actually have intervention conversations when they would have been marking, Mm -hmm. right? So now the kids are all working. I'm seeing everything and go, these kids need reach ahead. These kids need extra help. These kids are just fine. I can now completely reorganize my time around support with data-informed tools that allow me to have a completely different relationship with the students. Right. Then when we get into you know, each subject area, there's going to be great stories that you'll find, like how throughout you know, the pandemic, math has risen to the, the occasion and cho- choosing you know, different platforms to play in. All of our, you know, go back to the DEI, we're having really rich conversations with kids about what it means to be inclusive. And the, the whole spectrum of identities that our students are really now are comfortable with ha- have a greater and really comfortable understanding with and exploring those and 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 then asking ourselves what does it mean to build a school where kids feel belonging mm-hmm. right so that's 
that's in our program informally, right? But it's part of their education. Mm-hmm. Um, our whole service learning and kind of experiential learning is just really great. And we pride ourselves in not just taking trips, but having meaningful experiences that go beyond going somewhere and just taking it in. Yeah. Uh, but doing things and experiencing things in unique ways that tie back to the curriculum. Mm-hmm. But I feel that there's a lot of permission given to to teachers at the level of the course they're teaching or whatever to to try new things, to bring in new approaches, to have um, you know different kinds of conversations. And and you talk about sort of the nimbleness of you know the way in which the school's organized. I think that um, that I've sort of seen seen that play out in different ways. You know, all the way through the whole school. What does the future of K to twelve education you know look like to you? And and how could teachers best equip themselves for that future? The pandemic has pushed us very quickly into new territory, um, things we would have never had our students do and be exposed to is now what's enabling us to run school right now. So we're living a disrupted education system at the moment. It's having us take a moment. We're trying stuff. We're being forced to do stuff. It's allowed us to see opportunities, allowed us to see what doesn't work at all and we don't want. So I think we're in like a huge lab right now. So (laughs) we're in the future of education at the moment. Depending if we can get a handle on this, then there'll be this notion of like going back to normal. And and it will be interesting to see what we keep and what we don't. Um, And that is really where we're going. It's hard to say because it's a cultural piece around what we value and the well-being conversation, you know, Mm -hmm. yes, we can do amazing things now. It's so incredible, but we're also moving light speed and maybe fast isn't always, you know, better. Yeah. Um, So I think thoughtful reflection after this is going to be really important. Absolutely. I'll wrap up by saying I'm really excited about the North Stars that we've established as our kind of um, next strategic plan. We've got well-being, we've got the learning experience, we've got sustainability, and we've got uh, diversity, equity, uh, and inclusion at the core. And so those North Stars say, hey, we're going to really devote a lot of time, energy, and resources in the pursuit of those things in the next 5, 10, 15 forever years. Uh, And that's really exciting because the past strategic plan had us saying things like we're going to be academically the most academic or we would say we are going to improve the learning environment right and so that manifested itself in obviously curriculum improvements and maybe renos and other things but now we're getting into some like we're getting into some really meaty and interesting broad themes that are you know, ambitious. Mm-hmm. We don't have mm-hmm. all the answers. We're looking for lots of uh, stakeholder ideas in the pursuit of it. And it's going to iterate on top. But those are like, I really am feeling confident about those four areas um, and really like with their direction. Mm-hmm. This has been great, Justin. I really thank you so much for your time and your candor today. Um, it's been my pleasure. It's always such a pleasure to speak with you. I always come away from our conversations just feeling really energized and inspired. So um, I hope all great. our listeners feel that way too. And it's a great start to the season. So I'm excited to, um, you know, to be able to talk to teachers about um, the work they're doing, kind of on the ground. Yeah, well, that's yeah, going to be a real treat, and I'm looking forward to tuning in, and listening to this. Excellent. Yeah, enjoy. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Justin truly is a visionary educator and leader. What stuck out for me from our conversation was the following. 
One, Bjork School has a culture of not being afraid to change in pursuit of something. It's a school that is nimble, but sits on a solid foundation, and that we have interesting and innovative programming that is the result of a lot of iteration. The teachers I will talk to this season will provide good examples of this. Two, York School teachers are open-minded and are as focused on supporting social and emotional learning as they are academic learning. Three, 21st century educators are attuned to the ongoing change brought by technology and ask how the classroom is mirroring the outside world. To be a literate 21st century learner means being able to manage, understand, navigate, and recognize bias in the relentless stream of information we are exposed to. And four, the education system has been disrupted, and it's a huge lab right now. What our teachers choose to keep and discard will help shape the future of education for young people. You can follow Cohort 21 on Twitter by searching the hashtag Cohort 21. Follow Justin on Twitter at jmedved. You can learn more about academics and wellness at York by visiting our website. Visit York Talks online at www.yorkschool.com slash yorktalks. Subscribe to York Talks where you get your podcasts and tell other families wanting to learn more about how the York School approaches education. I'm your host, Natasha Esty. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Please join us again for more York Talks.